Hey, hey everyone, and welcome back to All That Is Empath podcast number two today, uh, our second only podcast ever. And today we're going to talk all about what is an empath and the different types of empaths to give you a better idea of are you an empath? And if you already know you're an empath, maybe you don't know what type of empath you are. It's helpful to know these things because, well, for one, to know you're an empath makes a huge difference in your life because once you know, you can start uh, looking into all the things that you have in common with other people, which probably up to this point, you kind of felt like you had nothing in common with anyone and felt very much alone and this can uh, realizing you're an empath and that there are other people just like you can really make a difference because you feel connected and you feel that okay I'm not alone all these other people are like me Um, so and I know that made a big difference in my life because you know my whole life I didn't know I was an empath for 40 years and I just thought something wrong with me right (laughs) Uh, I'm different than everyone and and the saying that always came into my head was I don't belong here I always felt I don't belong here so if you're feeling like that maybe you're an empath so we're going to talk about that today so what is an empath first of all empaths are extraordinary Uh, we have so many gifts but they, the gifts can often be seen, until you learn about them and how to protect yourself, they can often seem to be curses. We're very often misunderstood. We might be labeled, you know, the black sheep, uh, the uh, antisocial person, you know, uh, all these different things. Uh, is this too sensitive, hypersensitive? So if you've been hearing those things, chances are you might be an empath. We, we are sometimes considered quirky, uh, like I said, antisocial or too sensitive. Yet we're often cons- also often considered best friends, extra giving souls, uh, those that care too much. And that's because empaths feel not only their own emotions, but the emotions of everyone around them, or even sometimes everything around them. Maybe there's some negative energy locked in a room, you know, and you're feeling that energy as well. Uh, in fact, we are such complicated individuals that hundreds of books have been written about us you can find and and this is something you know when i first discovered i was an empath i was shocked to find so much material out there on being an empath and yet i had never ever ever come across any you know it it was so um like quiet in the media space about being an empath, that it was not something that you you came across. Now, today, it's becoming more uh, often place that you're going to see things like about being an empath or types of empaths. Um, even something I've seen recently in, in media where they're uh, terming a dark empath, and we're going to talk about that in another in, uh, in another podcast. So you may be wondering if you are an empath yourself. Many people are. They never realize it. They know they're different. They often feel like they don't belong. They just don't know why. Empaths are so perceptive because of the emotions that we sense around us that we have an uncanny ability to see someone's true intentions. So if you've ever met someone and straight away you said to yourself, he's a snake, then you're probably an empath. And suddenly I'm feeling like there's a Jeff Foxworthy joke in here somewhere. (laughs) Rather than you might be a redneck, you might be an empath. Okay, so let's talk about qualities that most empaths have in common. This will help you to determine if you or maybe a loved one is an empath. Now remember that everyone is different, everyone is unique, and that applies to empaths as well. So you don't need to agree with all of these different traits or signs but if the majority are true then you are almost definitely an empath so sign number one that you might be an empath you are a human lie detector empaths feel the emotions of others because emotions are just energy flowing in and out of an individual so when an empath meets someone who is being deceitful they almost always know this in their gut 
they're going to have just a negative or slimy feeling about this person. The negative emotions from the deceitful party are going to flow to the empath where he or she picks them up and absorbs them, even sometimes unknowingly. Have you ever felt a gut feeling about someone or something that told you to run? You just couldn't quite put your finger on it, but you just knew this is not this is not healthy, this is not safe. It may have been about a person or even a particular place. Please always listen to that voice. Never ignore it. I had uh, an experience once. I've had several of them, uh, funny enough. But I had one experience where I had such an overwhelming, sudden feeling of danger. And it, I was visiting a, a, a man who I had met in my 20s. Uh, me and my first husband were friends with him. And back then, I didn't get any vibes from him, really, other than he was a little kooky. He's a little <laughs> he's a little crazy. He was really intense. And um, I was just devouring anything and everything I could learn about computers at the time. And he was a little bit of a computer nerd. He had several computers, which to me, I was just in awe of. And uh, he, he had ran a BBS, which those of you who are maybe around 50, you know, you, I don't think any younger, but probably late 40s or early 50s, you, you know what a BBS is. It was before the, you know, World Wide Web, and you could still get on the internet with these different BBSs and download files and talk with other people and things like that. Uh, it stood for Bulletin Board System. Anyway, so um, I saw an article on this guy years later. It was uh, my early 40s, I think. Um, and it just made me think of him. And I was like, you know, I'm going to call him and see how he's doing. So I tried to look him up and I ended up finding him, gave him a call. And he claimed to not remember me, which seemed very strange to me um, because me and my husband were good friends with him and we saw him regularly. So I think he probably really did and just didn't want to, for whatever reason, admit it. But uh, I showed up to visit him. Uh, we had made plans on such a date, time to go and see him. And um, I went alone and he greeted me. He, he had mentioned on the phone when I talked to him that he was completely alone. His wife had died and um, he didn't have any children and he was just completely alone. Um, so when I showed up at his place, I get out of my car and he's already, he's not running, but he's walking very quickly to my car and he just immediately gives me a big hug and I could feel his loneliness. Like he just was so thrilled that someone had come to see him. So, uh, we sat in his living room for a little while and we chatted, uh, kind of got caught up and he told me a lot about what, what had been going on with him, uh, his wife getting cancer and slowly dying and she died in his arms and I didn't feel any negative emotion at that point. Um, I felt uncomfortable was all I really felt uh, and I couldn't really figure out why. But then um, he was a keyboard player and I had brought it up and mentioned it and you still play and he goes, oh yeah, I got all my instruments out back. And then he said, you want to you want to hear me play? And to be polite, I said yes. Um, and also was kind of surprised because uh, he used to be a keyboard player for Ike and Tina Turner. So he thought he was a big deal back when I knew him in my 20s and would not play for me. Uh, he claimed, he's like, you know, when I asked him once to play for me, he said, sure, you got $10,000. <laughs> so that's what he felt uh, his playing was worth. And for him to just offer to play, I was kind of surprised. So I said, sure. And we started walking uh, out the back of his house through his property. And there were absolutely no lights. And he just had like a, a little flashlight. So um, I started to feel a little creepy right then, but I told myself, okay, well, it's 
dark and it's deserted because he's got a lot of land. There was nothing around us. So I told myself, okay, yes, I'm feeling this creepiness, but there's no lights. There's nobody around me. So probably it's, it really honestly is just a creepy situation. You know, it has nothing to do with energy or, you know, I'm, I'm convincing myself of that or trying to convince myself of this. And we finally get to the, like, I don't know what to call it. It's not a, it used to be back when I used to visit him in my 20s where he had all his computers. Um, so it's kind of like an office behind his house, but it's not just one room. It was like three rooms and they're huge. So it's like this big, almost warehouse. And when we walk into the front where he used to have his computers, there's nothing there. There's no computers anymore. There's, it's just like this empty room that's dirty and dusty and old and grimy. And we're walking through that. And then the next room is where I suddenly got hit, overwhelmed with this uh, intense danger vibe. Like something was extremely not wrong here. It was almost like there was someone screaming at the top of their lungs, run! I mean, I literally got that feeling and I got chills from head to toe. And I'm trying to process that in my mind at the same time I'm watching him warily because I'm feeling that emotion. And I'm trusting myself at this point that this is not paranoia. This is real because it was just so intense there was no ignoring it and the room was creepy in and of itself um, but it wasn't like the feeling that I got it wasn't the creepiness of like walking through the dark outside that seemed like well this would be creepy no matter the situation um, it the room was creepy but not to the extent where I was feeling that that crazy danger but it was weird he had uh, all these tools around it was almost like a workshop room and he had all these tools hanging on the wall on pegboards um, every you know regular tools but then things that were kind of creepy like a scythe and um, you know some sharp very sharp objects and then there's like this table this long almost like a, a table that you would see in a um, uh, Oh, I can't think of the, the word. Um, oh, I can't believe I can't think of the word. Um, the people that do autopsies, a uh, medical examiner or a coroner, yeah. So I'm, pict I'm picturing, so I'm, this table, it, it reminds me of like a table a coroner would use to examine a dead body. It's like, you know, all steel and about the size of someone you'd lay on that table so I I don't think it was the look of the room that gave me this crazy vibe there was definitely a negative energy in that room um, so I literally had become so uh, on guard at that moment in that moment that as we're walking to the, the room to the third room the door to the third room which was like a sliding glass door he slides the door open and he says after you and I was so um, overwhelmed with emotion at this point that I knew something was very very wrong that I I literally didn't want to turn my back to him I wanted to keep a very keen eye on him um, and I'm trying to explain this to myself in my mind, um, not really understanding what I'm feeling totally, but just knowing I had to be careful. So I said, no, after you. And he refused. He's like, nope, nope, after you. So to solve the problem, I turned kind of sideways as I went through the door and then walked backwards so that I still had my eyes on him the whole time. So now we're in the third room and uh, there's a lot of things in there that are, are covered with uh, you know dust covers and I can't really see what they are. I'm assuming it was other um, instruments but he's got one organ that is um, uncovered 
and he sits down on it and he says join me he go and i and i was like no i'll, I'll sit over here and i kind of sat on the the ledge of a windowsill and the windows weren't covered with anything so you could see in and out um so i kept my eye on the outside um because i wasn't i started to feel like this this guy this guy wasn't like a big strong guy he looked weak although he was probably pretty strong but I mean he's just this small skinny guy um, so I didn't really feel like he could overpower me but if there was if there was if he was working with someone else to, to do and the reason I had that thought in my mind is he had kept trying to get me to go up to the corner store and buy him a six-pack and he said he, he he's agoraphobic and he couldn't leave his house um, and I finally agreed to do that for him and the the man that was there he had told me to ask him he wouldn't tell me the brand that he wanted which was the weird part and he told me to ask the guy at the counter for his brand and just give his name and so I did that and he said oh, okay it's such and such but he, the way that the man behind the counter was looking at me uh, was very disturbing and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I had that feeling already before we walked into that back patio. So um, adding that all together, I'm thinking, was that like a code for the guy behind the counter to know that he had a visitor and to come over? You know, So I kept my eye on the outside as well thinking, maybe someone's going to sneak up behind me um, and I don't I, obviously you know anybody who doesn't believe in in energy and empaths is going to say yep she's paranoid but if you do believe in it um, then you'll understand what I was feeling and I do believe that that extra caution uh, probably saved my life that night and oh by the way he claims that he got permission from the uh, Tampa Police Department to cremate his wife at his home when she died because he refused to leave her, her side when she died. He wasn't allowing the coroner to take her or anything like that. And he used to um, help train and, and breed uh, the German shepherds that they the Tampa Police Department used in their canine unit. So. Um, you know, that was the reason he gave why he was given that permission because he was close with some very high up people. Uh, and then he claims, you know, that he, he cremated her himself and watched the whole thing and then buried the ashes. So that's very creepy for someone to be willing or even want to do. Um, but if you, like, let's say they had made a pact, him and his wife, that that's the way it would be done because maybe his wife didn't want strangers to be messing with her. Um, if it was a normal, well, I don't, nothing normal about it, but if, if it was... Um, I don't even know how to say it. Uh, if if he if if it was true that he wanted to uh, cremate her for those reasons, then um, okay, fine. But to be able for someone to be able to sit and watch your loved one burn down to ashes between the smell that you would experience, which is, if, I don't know if you've ever, ever smelled like human hair burning, it's that smell tripled by a hundred from what I understand. Uh, it's, it's a putrid, horrible smell. Um, to be able to stand there and watch as your loved one that you spent your whole life with, they were childhood sweethearts. Um, what would that do to your head? You know, and I had that thought in my mind as well that you know, this guy's probably a little bit off his, his, his rocker. I mean, he, he was already a little bit off when I met him in my 20s, but, but not in a psycho way, just in a really intense way. So I think if that is true, that kind of knocked him off the rocker. 
so that was, uh, I know, a very long story, but just one example of um, how the uh, energy you can feel in a room can make, if you believe in it and trust your gut, can really make a difference. So always listen to that voice. Never ignore it. You're sensing the bad energy of, of a person or a place. Now, in your case, it might not be a life and death situation. It may simply be that someone's lying to you. But if you're an empath, you will know. You might not be able to prove it, but you will know. And your friends and family may tell you that you're being paranoid like they did me. But please don't listen to this. It's just negativity because they don't understand it. And with time, as you continue to develop as an empath, you will be begin to trust your feelings. Okay, let's move on to number two. You need more alone time than others. Empaths experience so many emotions in any given day that it is physically and emotionally draining and other people don't understand this. You're probably tired all the time. Uh, you may have even been diagnosed with like chronic fatigue syndrome. And it, that could be why. It could be the emotions, all the extra emotions that you're experiencing. So we do need time alone, away from others, in order to just uh, regenerate that kind of stolen energy and to work through all the different emotions that we've absorbed and figure out which emotions really are our own and get rid of the other ones. Uh, it really is essential to complete this, this time of rejuvenation. Um, you may struggle between uh, feeling lonely and yet feeling the need to be alone because you, you as an empath you need that so if you don't have a lot of people in your life you you might feel lonely and yet you still need to be alone and that brings us to number three you are not a fan of large crowds and may feel like you're an introvert so the need to be alone is going to naturally make your friends and family feel that you're introverted or antisocial, but this is usually not true. Um, a lot of empaths are even extroverts, but they will still take the time they need to rejuvenate in their alone time. <coughs> and the extroverts need to be very careful uh, not to burn out because in a crowd of people, you're bombarded with the emotions of everyone around you. And an extrovert wants to be around people. So, um, you know, you're going to, as an extrovert, have an extreme overwhelm of uh, energy. So you would need even extra time alone to rejuvenate afterwards. A lot of times, uh, empaths perceive um, this bombardment of emotions as anxiety and they'll think that they have uh, like a social anxiety they may even look for help from a psychologist um, when in actuality it's just the overwhelm of emotions that created that anxiety inside them and even after, even after understanding where the feeling comes from a lot of empaths will still not be fans of large crowds because it is very overwhelming so you may feel this way even in a room of only a few people um, going to family dinners where there's you know like six people even that can be overwhelming for you you obviously aren't anxious uh, around your own family you're comfortable etc but yet you keep feeling this overwhelming feeling that maybe you uh, view as anxiety that's why because you're feeling all the emotions of all of those people Sign number four, you need more sleep than others. This is, um, from my experience, this is very, very common in empaths. And uh, I, for example, I know growing up, my father used to call me Sleeping Beauty because I always wanted to sleep. I was always tired. So if uh, I was a big, like, nerd at school, like I loved learning, so I always, like, they didn't have to ask me to do my homework or tell me to do my homework. Like, as soon as I got home, I was doing my homework and excited to do it. I know, I'm a nerd. So, <laughs> so if I wasn't in school and I wasn't sleeping, 
I mean, if I wasn't in school and I wasn't studying, then I was sleeping or wanting to be sleeping. And this comes naturally because of the bombardment of emotions that we just talked about. So uh, empaths often do feel exhausted and they will need plenty of sleep. They can wake up from eight hours of sleep and still feel exhausted. And that maybe uh, sometimes, and this we'll get into in types of empaths, there is such a thing as a dream empath. <clears throat> Again, we'll talk about that towards the end of the podcast. But uh, the, this is the, the need for sleep and feeling exhausted is very, very common with dream empaths especially. Okay, number five. You dream heavily and you usually remember your dreams. Now this is not common with every single empath, but if this, if you're probably a dream empath if you, uh, if you dream heavily and you usually remember your dreams, but not necessarily. So while most people do dream every night, most people don't remember that they did or what they dreamed. They may remember that they dreamed something, but they can't really put their finger on it or they can't bring it back up in their mind. And I've even had people say, nope, I don't dream. And of course they do. They just never remember dreaming. So, And those are usually the people that get the most restful sleep. But many empaths, on the other hand, dream extensively and it's like they're living it. So it, they almost always remember what they dreamt, even down to minute details. And a lot of times, uh, because of this, you know, they'll go to a doctor and the doctor gives them some type of prescription that, of course, makes them sleep soundly through the night. But that may or may not help because the drug is going to put you into uh, a deep sleep and keep you there. It basically, these pills like, for example, um, trazodone will turn off your brain. And uh, when, the, when it wears off, your brain turns back on. So if your brain is off, then you literally can't dream, or at least that's the theory. Um, so that may or may not help some people. Uh, many empaths claim they don't sleep well and they're tired all the time because of their dreams. And a lot of empaths believe that this excess of dreaming is not just a dream in the mind, but instead a form of, of like dream walking where the empath's soul leaves their body and they're, they're actually, these quote dreams are actually their uh, inner self or inner being or source um, living in, the, in this dream. And it may not be exactly what you remember dreaming, but remember that our mind uh, sometimes may not be able to comprehend something that you did or said in the dream so it's so it's giving it back to you in the only way it can understand it um, so that's why they might it might seem confusing at times again we'll talk about dream empaths later on so sign number six you tend to be the friend that everyone runs to when they need someone to talk to so if in in a group of friends you are the listener the kind ear that others can tell their secrets to or ask for advice you never turn them away even when you realize that this gift you're giving seems to only go one way in other words nobody else helps you or listens to you uh, with any sense of caring um, when you need someone to talk to nobody's there but yet everybody comes to you for advice or just to listen to their complaints or their woes. Um, people may tell you that you're easy to talk to. Uh, they feel like, you know, right away, they feel like they can trust and confide in you. Um, this is a big sign of an empath because essentially what's happening is they are picking up your energy and their energy or their inner being is responding to the vibration of your energy and they're realizing in their gut, even though they don't, they're not perceiving this, you know, consciously anyway, they're not aware of this. It's their, their inner being feeling your vibrational energy and realizing that you're someone that can help them. All right, sign number seven, you often have mood swings. <laughs> now, of course, even people who, who aren't empaths are gonna have mood swings from time to time empaths have them with much more frequency 
um, they may be considered unpredictable. And it's par for the course for an empath um, because they could be happy, like their own emotion is happy, but then they interact with someone who is angry or depressed and they pick up those feelings. So they go from, they can go from happy to anger with the, in just a split second because when they absorb that other person's energy, they feel that emotion as if it was their own. Number eight, you have an addictive personality. And this is a, a huge, unfortunately, for me because, yes, I do have an addictive personality. It's caused me some trouble throughout my life. Um, it, but I learned very early in life about that I did have that addictive personality once I became addicted to smoking. Um, so I did quit smoking, by the way. Um, so I don't anymore. But um, learning early that I had that addictive personality made me very, very careful around alcohol. Um, I rarely ever drank. drank. <laughs> I rarely ever drank except maybe a couple of drinks. You know, I never went to that drunk place or, or not too often. And um, I was always, I always said no to drugs because I was just so scared I would take something and become addicted. But unfortunately, empaths are very susceptible to all sorts of addiction. And that's just because uh, many addictive activities will help you drown out the bombardment of emotions that you're feeling. So, you know, drinking alcohol or taking narcotic drugs, um, even smoking or binge eating or gambling or gaming, these are all things that can ease the constant feelings of the, the various emotions that you're absorbing um, and kind of help you escape for a little while. So, unfortunately, we do have that addictive personality. Number nine, you must know the truth. You must know the truth. The empath can run crazy trying to find out the truth behind something that they're curious about. It might be a friend or a partner has told them something and it didn't really ring as true. So the empath burrows through any tunnel necessary to find the truth. They're usually big fans of um, mystery shows, like anything involving mystery such as like unsolved crimes or escape rooms. Um, mystery movies and even religions but you have to for an empath you have to know the truth it drives you up a wall to to be lied to and you because you just have to know the truth number 10 you are creative now of course non-empaths can also be creative but um, empaths almost always have a creative streak that they cannot deny and it's usually so strong that like they, they can't even uh, accept anything other than a creative job for their career. Um, not creating is, is distressful to them. They may be musicians, actors, dancers, artists, anything and anything, uh, anything and everything creative. In most cases, they might be expressing their creativity through hobbies like ceramics, knitting or pottery. Um, but if you're someone that um, goes from one creative aspect to another, like maybe you're, you're not a musician, you're not uh, an artist, but at the same time, you're, you're, you have to express this creativity in one way or another. And so you're just constantly going from hobby to hobby and doing different things that you can be creative, um, then you're probably an empath. Number 11, you love animals. Of course, you don't have to be an empath to love animals, but empaths seem to always love animals across the board. And some, even more so than others, those are called animal empaths, and we'll talk about those later. Um, but many feel closer to animals in nature than they do their own species. <laughs> like, you've probably seen the t-shirts, you know, like my favorite human is a dog or, or is a Boston Terrier or, or something to that effect. Um, maybe they can... They, they feel the kind soul of the animal or the love that is being emanated um, in a case of uh, when, when an animal is misbehaving, like say a dog growling at them. Um, they may feel like, and this is not just any empath, but an animal empath, they can actually feel the hurt and mistreatment that that animal 
has gone through that made them distrustful of humans, and that's why the dog's growling at them. And they make this connection with the dog. Um, so whatever the reason, empaths seem to have a unique connection with animals. And the animal empath can even communicate with them. And of course, in a communal sense, not a Dr. Doolittle sense. Number 12, water has special meaning to you. Empaths are drawn to everything in nature, but they seem to have an even larger attachment to water, like uh, even just floating in a pool or especially the ocean. This can have like almost a spiritual effect on the empath, especially if you're in a quiet environment where, you know, you can look within yourself and quietly meditate. Um, you know, a lot of people find uh, rain and thunderstorms distressful. Um, I know a lot of people that literally have almost panic attacks with uh, loud thunder and lightning. If that's you, you are not an empath. <laughs> Empaths act, will absolutely love rain and thunderstorms, everything about it, the sounds, the smells, the spiritual cleansing that it brings. Um, empaths can even be soothed from a shower or a bath. It's actually one of the... Um, the rituals that that you can do to lower stress and anxiety um, a lot of people know uh, of course you know put some lavender into your bath for a calming effect um, and it, it, with the case of an empath they don't even need any of that the simple uh, act of of being uh, embodied in a bath or the the water rushing over you in a shower um, they they see they they are aware that this is cleansing their energy, and uh, it's almost like a cleansing ritual to them. Number thirteen, you're a rebel. The quickest way to get an empath to do something is to tell them that they can't. <laughs> the positive side to that is that empaths will almost always accomplish what they challenge themselves to do. The not so positive side is that empaths, especially in their youth will be troublemakers of one degree or another because of that rebel side. And it's usually all in a good mischievous fun kind of way, but even still they may find themselves in uh, some precarious situations. <laughs> all right, we are almost done. Uh, number 14, you are easily distracted and love to daydream. Impasse put everything they are into anything they want to do. But once they lose interest, it's very difficult to, to give 100% because they, they lose focus and they find their daydreams more entertaining. So an empath will usually do everything they can to avoid boredom. They might um, do a lot of things at once, multitasking, uh, so they always have something to do. And they're great at multitasking. They'll usually have numerous hobbies, but work on any one of them for only a short period of time before moving on to another, because again, they have to, uh, they're easily distracted and they have to be uh, totally into what they're currently doing um, or they will just lose focus. So once something becomes easy, it's not as fun or interesting to the empath. So it becomes harder for them to master any one thing. And number 15, you know of at least one family member who is an empath. Empathic traits tend to be sprinkled like salt throughout a family. You may have family members who are spiritual healers, mediums, or other types of strong empathic traits. So it does have almost like a, a genetic, seems to be almost genetic, where um, it does run in families. So. Now, me personally, um, I actually have a, uh, a bit of it in my family. I have um, a grandmother who was a spiritual healer, and I've heard my mother talk uh, about, many, many times I've heard her tell the story of um, her being, I don't know, maybe like 10 years old. She was a young child, and uh, the neighbor had brought over their daughter kind of limp in her in their arms and crying saying you know you know she's gonna she basically was dying and they took her into a back room where my mom says they did all their healing stuff and she was never allowed to go into the room 
Um, and then about an hour later, the little girl came running out and started playing ball with my mom. So I had personally asked my grandmother because I had heard these stories. And at the time I was like, I had a hard time believing them. Of course, it's your mom and you don't, you know, you don't think your mom is lying, of course, but it's sometimes so, so hard to believe. Um, I asked my grandmother, is it true you were a healer? You did, And she's like, yes, honey, yes, I can heal. <laughs> so um, she would tell me a little bit about it. And um, one day I had a headache and I was, well, I have a really bad headache. Can you cure my head? Oh, sure. And she would, uh, she did that. But then when I asked her to do my back, to heal my back when it was so bad, um, even in my youth, uh, it was my early 20s, she actually said, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I, I, it raises my blood pressure so much when I heal that I can't do it anymore. So there is that. Now, there are even more signs or traits of an empath, but this should give you a good starting point to determine if you or someone you know is an empath. It's really important that, an, that if you're an empath, you recognize that as early as possible in life. So if you're listening to this and you have a daughter or a son um, or you know somebody who exhibits these qualities have a conversation with them because if they find out they're an empath the earlier the better they can start learning about themselves and not feel so different and that they don't belong so it will eliminate a lot of emotional damage and confusion if they're aware of why they feel certain things and why they're different from others Okay, so let's briefly talk about uh, the types of empaths. Now, and this is a, is, is a little difficult because depending on who you ask, there is anywhere from three to 14 different types of empaths. <laughs> Honest to God. Um, so some, some people say there's only three empaths. And again, um, I've seen up to articles where they say there's 14 different types of empaths. So what I've done is picked out the uh, seven, which is somewhere there in the middle. And these are the seven types of empaths that I'm gonna cover with you that I would say on average, the majority of experts agree with. A lot of the differences, um, you know, when someone says there's only three empaths, someone says there's up to 14, a lot of the differences that I noticed uh, was about psychic abilities. For example, say, say one type of empath is a telepathic empath who can read someone's thoughts in addition to feeling their emotions. Now, personally, I would just consider that person to be an emotional empath with psychic abilities. I wouldn't specifically categorize them differently, but a lot of people do. So in my list of types of empaths that I'm gonna give you, I'm going to include the most common and accepted types. So. Keep in mind that there isn't any empirical evidence on any of these types. It's, it's just a, simply a way to describe the different abilities within different empaths, okay? And there can be overlap between these, so if, if a, more than one of these seem to ring true for you, you probably are both, okay? So, for example, I have characteristics of emotional, intuitive, dream, and animal empaths. Okay, so the seven types of empaths. Uh, number one, physical empath. So the physical empath can actually feel another person's pain. And I'm not talking about the emotion behind their pain, but actually physically feeling their pain. Like, um, I'm sure you've heard stories about a twin feeling the pain of her sibling or a husband feeling sympathy pains for a pregnant wife. This is what the physical empath feels, but for almost everyone they encounter. So it's, it, it, it's an extremely overwhelming experience for any physical empath to be surrounded by people in proximity, for example, uh, a music concert. Um, and, and the physical empath will absolutely need to learn to shield themselves from this energy, or they're going to go through their life with a lot of uh, physical pain that they really shouldn't be experiencing. Number two is emotional empath. And as you probably expected, the emotional empath feels someone else's emotions. Uh, they're usually the type that when most people just 
say empath or or talking about an empath, that's usually what they're envisioning, the emotional empath. Um, they're, I would say, in general, maybe perhaps the most common. Uh, and feeling everyone else's emotions can be confusing. A lot of times it's hard to ascertain whether you're feeling your own emotions or someone else's. And it can be very exhausting, as we talked about um, earlier. So, you know, you may even think you have chronic fatigue syndrome, or maybe that is what chronic fatigue syndrome is. Maybe everyone who has chronic fatigue syndrome is an empath. I, I don't know. The, again, these are things that haven't been scientifically explained yet. So um, you may feel very, very tired. Um, and because of that, you probably try to stay away from large crowds. Number three, the intuitive empath. And the intuitive empath is blessed with uh, the ability to be able to sense someone else's intentions. And this empath tends to embody traits of an emotional empath too, as well as the plant and animal empath. They can read between the lines, hearing that which is not said out loud. Um, for example, many people call this a gut feeling, the uh, intuition. And there are many people who believe there are subcategories of intuitive empaths, such as the claircognizant intuitive empath or the highly intuitive empath. And I see it more as just an overlapping of different types of empaths. Um, and again, you know, it's, it, it's, none of this is scientifically proven. So, you know, the, the best thing to do is to just kind of feel which category you resonate the most with and then research that specifically to help you learn more about yourself. Number four is a plant empath. This is a unique type of empath um, that has a special connection with flora. Uh, these are people that often are told they have a green thumb because they are always able to grow anything and nothing ever dies on them and you walk into their home and it's just covered with plant life. Um, their office, plants everywhere. Um, and all of the plants will flourish. So they somehow can just sense what the plant needs. Is Does it need more water? Is it overwatered? Uh, does it need more nutrition? So they can just sense the overall well-being of the plant and in that way be able to give it what it needs. Number five is an earth empath. This is an interesting one. Um, earth empaths have almost a subconscious connection to nature. So, for example, um, when, when we talk about the moon, for example, um, many natural occurrences like the moon and the tides affect all of us. Um, it's not specific to empaths. However, earth empaths will feel all of that more intensely. Um, they're usually outdoorsy type people. They're most happy and comfortable outdoors. Uh, they want the grass under their feet. They want to be climbing trees. Uh, they want to feel sand between their toes. Um, the most interesting thing I think about an earth empath is they say that they can feel when a natural disaster happens, like when there's a tsunami or a tornado or a volcano erupting, they actually can feel this happening. Um, and I'm not an earth empath, so I can't explain to you what that feeling might be. But if you relate to any of these things about an earth empath, definitely research that full, uh, further. Number six, dream empath. And we talked about this a little bit earlier but dream empaths seem to dream more often than most and they remember their dreams vividly after waking up. Uh, their dreams can be prophetic, uh, warning of a future event, or maybe even providing an answer to a dilemma they've been trying to solve. Um, the reason I relate to being a dream empath is um, when I worked as a programmer, I could be at the office and trying to figure out a, a piece of code and just kind of beating a dead horse over and over and I just couldn't figure it out and I'd come home relax go to sleep and I would wake up knowing the answer to the problem like I would dream 
about me solving the problem and then when I woke up I was like oh my god that's how you do it you know and that was just overwhelming to me I always felt like okay when I go into work and I try it it's not gonna work couldn't possibly work um, but I just knew that that was the solution and I would try it and it would indeed work uh, another time I had a prophetic dream about a car accident I was gonna have and um, I had it probably I would say five or six years before it actually happened um, but it did indeed happen so that was interesting and uh, one other cool thing about empaths is that they can usually um, sense everything in, in their dreams like their dreams are so vivid that they can touch taste or smell all right number seven is an animal empath animal empaths are my favorite maybe because I am one but we love all types of animals especially the ones we can most easily spend time with we love cuddling with an animal and we can't you know speak to animals it's like I said it's not a Dr. Doolittle type thing I wish <laughs> but we can often feel what they're trying to tell us um, by just their glance which may seem obvious to the animal empath what that glance means and they think maybe even that it's obvious to everybody else but it's not when that dog looks at you and you can tell they're in pain that don't think that everyone else can feel that because they can't that just means you're an animal empath okay uh, there you have it that's a very brief introduction into the different types of empaths and as I mentioned earlier there doesn't seem to be a consensus out there as to the types and since they're not backed by science we kind of just have to uh, go with um, other people's experiences we can't say for sure who is right who's wrong um, so one of the top experts in the empathic world is Dr. Judith Orloff who believes there are only three types of empaths the physical emotional and intuitive but other experts believe there are eight like I said even 14 that's the highest I saw but maybe there's more and I believe this list is a happy medium between the two so I hope that helped you and I want to thank everyone for joining us today and please visit us at www.embattledempaths.com and until next week I will see you then <laughs>